Hey everyone, welcome to episode number 35 of Robot Radio. This is Greg Stanwood, I'm here along with Andrew Martin. Uh, newly appointed Purple Row manager, Andrew Martin, that is. That's yeah, big streaming deal, folks. Yeah, we uh, we knew about it when we recorded the last show, but it wasn't made uh, made official yet. So this is the first time we've actually done one of these shows with that having been uh, completed. Um, yeah, it's been a couple weeks. We uh, obviously really don't have enough material to do a show every week uh, yet. We would be just drowning in uh, a lack of topics. But by this point, we've had three or four major occurrences uh, happen to the team. We've we've seen some players come and go, and the, the offseason is definitely starting to uh, surge a little bit, I suppose, would be the appropriate word. It's it's not going to get really heated up until after the, the holidays are done, or really maybe just after the winter meetings, because there's always some doldrums at the end of December there. But uh, there's still a long way to go, but it's time to kind of catch everybody up on what we think about what's changed and where we're going. So the biggest transaction that I guess we can get started off talking about is the, the Clint Barmas felipe Paulino trade. Uh, we were going to non-tender Barmas on the, the tender deadline, which I believe is the second this year. They moved it up quite a bit than, than they used to. The, a bunch of the off-season dates were advanced a little bit earlier, because it's usually closer to, like, the 12th or the 15th, but um, basically, we managed to get a player for uh, for Barmas, and that is uh, Houston's, uh, for, well, formerly Houston's uh, starting pitcher, Felipe Paulino. What thoughts do you have on this trade? Well, right off the bat, the obvious thing is, if we were just going to toss Barmas, getting anything back is great. I mean, it's like Craigslisting stuff you're going to throw away. If anybody will give you anything for it, you've obviously, you know, just come out ahead. So mm -hmm. the fact that we were able to get a live body for Clint Barmas is uh, just fantastic. And on Barmas's side of it, I mean, in a sentimental sense, I'm going to miss him. In a frustration sense, not nearly as much. But uh, he's going to have a good shot in Houston to at least get playing time. So I do believe that even if he, even though his bat is poor, He's going to get more playing time than Tommy Manziel and, and Jeff Kepinger. Those guys are just terrible, and Barmas is better than them, at least defensively, and more than likely offensively, too. As far as I know, uh, he'll be the starting shortstop, or at least that's kind of the plan. Uh, I'm not sure if that... Uh, I mean, it's always possible they change their mind and decide to toss him at second or even third or something like that, but... Uh, I, I was looking at Houston's uh, depth chart, and I don't know half the people on the team anymore. Like, I, I know their outfield. I know Lee, Bourne, and uh, uh, Pence. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, Berkman's gone, and Biggio's gone a couple of years ago, and, you know, all the names that I associate. Of course, uh, Kazmat Zui came back here for minor league time. So they've got a bunch of new faces. And, you know, I, I know who Jeff Kepinger is, but... Uh, I don't know a lot about him. So uh, Jeff Kempinger is another one of those guys who he's he's young, he's cheap. On the long run, he probably profiles better as a utility guy. I mean, I bring a lot of stuff back to sim baseball, but you know, as the years roll by in sim baseball, I've brought Kempinger on into the Rockies a couple times just to, to play utility roles. You know, back up the infield and so on and so forth, and he you know and play him against the lefties. So, I mean, if the game's any indication, he at least has a future splatoon partner slash utility guy. 
And uh, Manzella is, I, I think there's a bit more upside there to him, but we have yet to see it. So I guess we'll have to kind of wait and see what, uh, um, you know, what spring training brings around. But I do believe that Clint Barmas, even though it's a shaky track record, will have the track record to, uh, um, you know, get a lot more playing time than he would have here in Colorado. Yeah, especially since we have, you know, well, we obviously have Tulowitzki as a as a fixture at short, and then we've got a bunch of young uh possibilities who can at the very least have a pretty significant chance of matching or or beating Barmas's production. So, I mean, exactly. If if he if he had stuck around, if we had non-tendered him and then re-signed him or something like that, he would have been utility. Um and so if you, if you look at it from the perspective that any pro baseball player is going to want as much playing time as possible, then it's probably a good opportunity for him. Um, but you said it, it's a positive to get a warm body for him, and I definitely agree because it, it, it just I, – I don't really understand the uh, the logic behind making this trade from Houston's side. Uh, that's not to say that I'm super excited about Paulino, who we'll talk about in a bit, but I still think it's a bit unusual that they outright traded a non, for a non-tender candidate, especially if you remember last year when we tried to trade Atkins at the end of the year and nobody was biting because they knew we were going to non-tender him. I guess the difference with Barmas and Atkins is that Atkins had very, had roughly no marketable skills. He, all he had was a potential of a bounce back. Mm-hmm. That's all he had. Like, the difference between them is that Atkins, even though UZR suggests at the very end of his tenure with the Rockies he had an uptick in his fielding numbers, Ed Garrett Atkins is not a good fielding baseball player. And the only um, thing that teams are looking at Atkins to be was a first base slash DH type who could be had for relatively cheap and, like I said, is a bounce-back candidate. So... Um, he ended just, he ended up getting a contract that was worth like yeah, four point five million, didn't he? Four and a half with four yeah. and a half with Baltimore, who I definitely think overpaid. Yeah, well, I mean in hindsight, twenty. Well, 20 but I, I I think they overpaid without hindsight. <laughs> exactly. Well, yeah. No, exactly. <laughs> I thought they overpaid without hindsight as well. Um, they he was not worth four and a half million. The difference is Barmas, though, is that even though the. the People always think that non-tendering automatically means, well, this guy is worthless to us and blah, blah, blah. It's not quite that simple. Because one team's non-tender may be another team's starter. Uh It just has to do with the way the team is structured. The only reason we non-tendered Barmas um, was because we have Herrera right behind him who can pretty much do the same stuff except for, you know, more slappy average rather than, you know, know, sitting dead red pulling home runs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. but on top of that, I mean, Barmas has an you know an elite level infield club at shortstop and second base, two premium defensive positions. Now, when you got a guy who's got an upside, he, it's not a great offensive upside. But if Barmas batted to roughly what I assume his potential would be, he'd be about like a ninety WRC plus player, which would mean he's about ninety percent of the of a league average bat. But then you factor his glove into there, and no, you don't have anything resembling an all star. But you have definitely a useful piece who should be batting eighth in your lineup every day, um, or you know seventh. I don't know what your team looks like, but uh, there were going to be teams bidding on Barmas's services. So Houston, rather than having to get into some sort of, even if it would be a small scale bidding war, just decided to trade away a player to get that co- to get that certainty. And we have Barmas for next season. It, it, it seems to me that he was a guy that they they 
may or may not have been targeting, but at least he was the kind of guy they were looking at, and they said, hey, he's available, let's make sure that we don't have to fight with St. Louis over him or something like that, because Skip Schumacher at second is just a debacle hmm. for, for the Cardinals. So having Barmas at second... You know, whoever. Just the point is having him there. They would, they would, be, that would be an upgrade for them as well. And there's got to be other teams out there who say, "Wow, our shortstop is awful." Like the Orioles, for example. I mean, Barmas presents a better option than Cesar Torres. I will, you know, stand on that pretty securely. And having being so, that's why Houston was willing to give give up. Uh, Polino, and then, you know, obviously have to go to arbitration with Barham, or, you know, at least try to tender him a contract, mm-hmm. is because they knew that that was the guy they needed. So rather than bidding, they went for the sure thing. So let's talk about Polino for a bit. Uh, he, we, we, we faced him twice last year, I believe, and he was very good against us both times. But overall, he's, he's, not, he's not really a player who has found himself at the major league level yet. He's, he's had some some ups and downs, and uh, we're talking about giving him a chance or, or treating him, rather, going into spring training as a starting pitching candidate, but I think that they're not ruling out the chance of sliding him into relief, uh, which might be tricky, because as I've discussed many times on Purple Row and on uh, on the podcast here, the the, the the place is already pretty crowded. Um, I don't really know how it's all going to stack out at this point. Uh, I, I can run through all the, you know, projected rosters that I want, but there's there's too many things that are undecided at this point. So, I guess the uh, uh, the best possible way to look at this is that Paulino is sort of like a a, a more or a less advanced Jorge De La Rosa. Except he's right-handed, <laughs> but uh, I just mean in the position they're in, coming into the organization, somebody who could be mentored or built into something uh, productive. Uh, he does have a lot of upside. He throws pretty hard, as I understand it. I didn't, haven't looked up like his fastball velocity or anything. He like sits that. Uh, mid. He sits ninety-five-ish, like above, usually ninety-five point something. So I mean, that tells you he can probably touch ninety-seven, ninety-eight. If he's sitting 95. Okay, yeah. So, um, that's basically where he stands. Uh, as we said, we, we, we couldn't really expect, uh, a whole lot of special stuff for Clint Barmas, but, yeah, I, I guess you could put me as, as rather neutral on, 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 uh, the return that we got for Barmas because I know that we didn't really have any room for him on the team, uh, him being Barmas, and uh, also, I didn't expect us to get anything in return. So, on that level, I'm I'm pleased. But beyond that, I just don't really have any particular expectations for someone like Polino being a uh, you know a game changer, so to speak. I doubt that Polino will be a major cog in the Rockies' uh, rotation next year, or even really the well, the bullpen. I'm not. I'm going to hold reserve judgment for until we find out what uh what offseason transactions go down, because there could be room made for Paulino. Yes. If uh, you know particular trades go up or down. Mm-hmm. Um, but at least as a rotation candidate, I mean, we saw what he did against us, which is granted a very small sample, but we know that uh, Paulino is capable of pitching well. Yeah, and uh, I mean, and he's got that strikeout potential. It's when he uh, loses the zone, which is obviously the true true just about any pitcher. 
Um, it's, it's when he has those generic moments of, I, you know, can't throw strikes anymore. That's when he really, the, the wheels come off. Because last year he didn't show up, but the year before, he's the kind of guy who would walk, walk, home run. And that's what uh, leads to his high career ERA so far. But people also made interesting comparisons to De La Rosa when he came into the team. Um, yeah. Guy who, who had strikeout stuff but was having a little bit of trouble harnessing it, couldn't find the zone, bit of a head case, been jumped back and forth between relief and uh, the rotation so often that didn't really know his own role on whatever team he was on. Well, I don't think uh, it's been quite as drastic with Paulino, but uh, he's definitely jumped back and forth. And I don't know. I mean, I don't think we should rule him out as our number five candidate, but uh, I also wouldn't uh, put much too, put too many eggs in the Felipe Paulino basket right now. Right, and I I still think that it's it's more likely that some from somewhere we're going to find ourselves some left-handed starting pitching candidate because if right now that fifth spot taking account of only people in our organization already is between Esmil Rogers and Felipe Paulino. And of course, everybody else being Cook, Hamill, Shasin, and Jimenez are all right-handed pitchers. All, all uh, six of those, those guys. Don't forget that there, uh, the, the, you know, there could be uh, a Franklin Morales return to the rotation as well. Um, that, that would be interesting. I know that last year, I mean, he, he was, he was technically converted uh, to the pen in mid-09, and uh, going into spring training 2010, they treated him as a starter again, or at least they, they kept him on the schedule of the starting pitchers rather than the relievers, so in case they needed uh, him to start. But, of course, it ended up being that they put him in the pen anyway as the closer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, well, the... The thing with Morales, I was I asked Troy Rank about this. Uh, I believe it was last season or this spring. I can't remember which, but uh, I said, "What's the word on Morales's role with the organization?" Still, is he? I mean, we see him closing right now. Is closing is, is the bullpen kind of his future from here on out, or is there still talk of him in the rotation? And Rank pretty much put it as if Morales isn't closing, you know, full time or at least you know setting up or something like that by this season or next, he'll probably make a push back to go back to the rotation. And I don't see him being um, enough of a... I don't see him having the, the, the mental... The, the acumen, the, the the mental acumen to really be a solid setup guy. I don't, I don't necessarily buy into the closer mentality 100%, but you know, Morales is just so prone to blow-ups. It would just end up being detrimental to the team. You'll have a good number of zeros, but he'll also have a good number of, you know, not crooked numbers. So, you know, putting him in the rotation, I'm still concerned that it won't be very feasible given the fact that he walks just so many guys, but, you know, that seems to be the best way to harness his potential. Yeah, I hadn't really thought about that. I I acknowledge that I suppose it's possible that they they think about putting uh, Morales as the left-handed starter, but I don't... I mean, I, I guess at this point, it, it's kind of it's kind of kind of like just you know putting salt in an open wound because we've already ranted about how Morales has been thrown about so much and what he's supposed to be doing. <laughs> putting him back to starter is just kind of almost amusing in how uh, how inconsistent his career will have been so far. Uh, well, this happens with a lot of young pitchers who can't find the strike zone and who display, you know, just very, he's very flappable on the mound. And so 
trying to find a role for a guy who gets shaken up so easily is really difficult. So mm-hmm. much as we want to try to blame the organization for jerking him around so much, in a small way I do, but at the time he looked at the be- – like 2008 he was the best candidate for the job because we needed a guy in the rotation, and mm-hmm. and then he wasn't ready, and you know so on and so forth, the career of Morales. But there's only so much you can do to baby a guy before you got to just kind of – Say, look, kid, deal with it. You're a player for our team. We're, we're, we're not the team for the Franklin Moraleses. We, we, you, you do what we tell you to do, and that's the way it is. And, you know, I hope that he'll, you know, pan out somehow, because the guy still has just disgusting stuff when he wants to throw it. Yep. Yeah, I, uh, I, I as I said before, I, I have not given up on him, even though most people have. But I think that's mostly because I, I feel like... I, I I have an inconsistent position in the sense that I feel like he's been given more than enough of a chance and also not enough of a chance at the same time. Somehow. I understand. Uh, yeah, he's, given, he's been given countless opportunities, but it always seems to be the minute he starts to falter in one opportunity, they have, they shift him or send him down. Mm-hmm. And so while he hasn't gotten a chance to work out of his own trouble, so to speak, you know, whenever he uh, has to hit those low points... He also, they haven't given him much of a leash either. But at the same time, he always seems to be having trouble when we need to rely on him to do something. Yeah. Uh, which, of course, results in why so many people are so down on him. Uh, well, moving on from that, speaking about players that people have been down on, uh, the other major uh, player that has left our organization since the free agent uh declaration period is Manny Corpus, who was released um, a couple weeks ago. Well, I guess about one week ago. Um, which caught some people off guard. It, it caught me off guard a little bit, but I, I understood it immediately, because I, I, I knew as soon as we knew that he was going to miss all, or at the very least 90% of 2011 season, um, that there was no way we were going to pick up his option. And even though he had that weird contract where his option year covered an arbitration year instead of free agency, uh, we still probably would have non-tendered him because we wouldn't want to go through arbitration with him, which basically means if we kept him around for next year, he uh, would probably have been let go at the end anyway. Uh, after being injured. So we already owed him the money, and it, it seems to me that their opinion was his spot on the roster is more valuable than uh, keeping him on the roster when we're probably going to let him go at the end of the season anyway, and he's not even going to pitch. So basically it was just kind of like doing this move a little bit earlier than maybe they would have otherwise. Uh, does that make sense? Uh, it, it's pretty much a no-brainer. I mean, the guy's not going to pitch in 2011, and if he somehow magically does, it will be in, like, September. Exactly. Th- exactly. There's really no reason to say that Manny Corpus coming off Tommy John surgery would be a more viable option than any minor league candidate on the 40-man we could call up at that point. I mean, who knows? I mean, Bruce Billings might be the guy we call up in September, and I'm not confident that Corpus will be better than him. Um mm-hmm. It's just it's it's really kind of a simple move. It's a little disappointing to see things pan out the way he did, and we definitely burned a lot of money on him. But uh, you know, it's baseball. I mean, players get hurt and show up out of shape and stuff like that. And it's disappointing the way Corpus's career with the Rockies, uh, you know, 
finished here. It was disappointment after disappointment after injury after injury, and just the team, I guess, that just had enough. So, like you said, the roster spot was more valuable than the potential that Manny Corpus could conceivably come back and do anything of value. Right. Um, it, it's kind of a, a similar situation, except uh, they, they they waited a little longer with Taylor Buckholtz, who uh, they, they basically let him rehab with us and then uh, weren't confident with where he was, so they went ahead and let him go. Um, the, the Corpus thing kind of reminds me of uh, Jose Arandondo's uh, situation last year, where he was he had to get surgery, and I can't, I can't remember what kind of surgery it was, but he uh, was let go afterwards by uh, the Angels, and then he I believe he signed with Cincinnati, didn't he? Uh, a team actually signed him to rehab with them, so he may be available uh, th- this year. All all this happened before 2010 season, so I'm going to look up what team that is. I'm pretty sure it's the Reds. But I don't know. Uh, but basically, it's possible that somebody actually signs Corpus now, even though he's still hurt, just so they will, uh, I mean, they, they can control his rehab and maybe see where he is upon uh, upon uh, his recovery. And, of course, we owe him the money, so that would not be as much of a concern. Um. So, uh, what other activities that have occurred so far are you interested in uh, mentioning? Well, maybe not necessarily activities, but... Uh, potential uh, acquisition candidates? Potential, potential acquisition or reacquisition candidates. Okay, so Arredondo is with the Reds now, so okay. I was uh, I was correct. Um, he is just kind of a similar situation, I think. So... Uh, I suppose one name that has been floated around that you know that I highly doubt we acquire this player, and I think it's just a little bit of a surprise. So I thought I'd start out with it. Is Justin Upton? Uh, that kind of came out of out of right field, if you will. Ha huh. um, huh. No, that was not a joke. <laughs> um, he uh, is apparently being, uh, or apparently Arizona is quote unquote listening to offers about him, and apparently the Rockies are one of the teams that not necessarily, like, said, oh, we're interested, but was like, hey, we'll, uh, we'll investigate, we'll, we'll keep our eyes open. Uh, I assume you, you are in the same position I am in the sense that, of thinking, this is not going to happen. Uh, realistically speaking, it sounds like Kevin Towers is going to go over the top of the Rockies and demanding, uh, a return. So it really kind of depends on what other teams are willing to offer, because he's saying he's not going to trade in division. Right. I kind of see it as he's going to, ma- to demand more than other offers a- for an in-division team. Yeah, which, that, that, which is not an uncommon practice, really. Oh, no, not at all, because, I mean, Upton's going to hurt Arizona a lot more in the next few years if we trade him than, uh, than whoever we lose will right now. Right. Um, no, the, the, the thing of it is, is what are other teams willing to give up? How badly do they want Justin Upton in their outfield? Do they really, I mean, how much of their farm are they willing to part out here? Because if they, um, if the offer he gets is, you know, just not all that special, then 
how much more over the top do we need to be from not that special to land him? Well, and, and further, do we even know how serious they are about actually doing this? Because oh. it seems to me that at this point, all they're saying is, well, listen, it's not like, oh, we desperately want to get rid of Justin Upton. Yeah, I uh, mean, after, after Florida saying, oh, we'll listen on Ugla, and then trading him the next day, <laughs> I, mean, I think it kind of uh, sets your mind into listen equals trade. And we got to remember that... Uh, that's not necessarily the case, yeah. Exactly. Kevin Towers just coming in as a GM uh, is not going to just start parting the team out right off the bat. That's just silly talk. Mm-hmm. Um, what's going to happen with... I, I don't think they ha- They don't have to move him as a thing. I mean, when I, obviously nobody has to do anything ever, but I mean, they're not at a point where they're so completely strapped for cash that... They have to get rid of Upton just so they don't have to fight his contract down the line. But uh, they're in a good point place right now to listen on someone like Upton because they obviously have nothing to lose this year because they're just, you know they're going to be awful. And Justin Upton could provide a lot of important building pieces for a team that's going to have to go through a relatively nasty rebuild here. Yeah, and being having uh, do you know what he's making in 2011? I can look it up. Let me put whatever it is. I, it can't be as much. It's not going to be like you know ten. I don't believe it's ten million dollars. I'm going to laugh if it is. Let's see. Todd's contracts. I'm already contracts. there. He is making in uh, just half a million dollars. No, four point two five. That's what I thought it was. His contract escalates. It's a uh, fifty-one million dollar over six years. Uh huh. Twenty eleven. Uh, 2010 is half a million, 2011 is 4.25, 2012 is 6.75, 6.75. then 9.75, 14.25, and 14.5. There's no options on the end of that, and he has limited no trade, will have blocked trades to Cleveland, Detroit, Kansas City, and Oakland, which is kind of encouraging, because I've heard too many teams block us, and that that upsets me. Or not too many teams, but too many individual players with limited no trade having blocked Colorado. Well, I, the only one I remember who blo- who had one of those that blocked Colorado was Brian Giles. Uh, what other examples? I'm just curious. Were there? Oh, I, I don't. I don't quote me on this, but I think I remember Sheffield having no trade protection to Colorado, and it's not that I. That doesn't to. bother me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A lot of when I say that it upsets me, it's not so much like darn, I want all your players. It's what's wrong with Colorado? Why you gotta block Colorado, huh? You big jerk! I don't want you anyways. Get out of here. Um, but no, it's good to see that at least Upton as a potential to come to Colorado. Um, no, what I'm saying with the Diamondbacks, a four point two five million dollars for a guy who is very likely to just rampantly outproduce his salary. Uh, it, it's okay for them to sit and listen this year. If they don't find anything that attracts them this year. Um, that could be trouble. They got to keep their eyes on what sounds like a pretty sharp offer because next year they're losing leverage. Every year that goes by in his contract, they lose leverage because he gets a year older. And granted, he's still incredibly young. He's twenty-three. Exactly. Yeah. So age. He's, he's, really, he's only he's only two months older than I am. Really. So age is far less of a factor here, but so much as the escalating contract. Because, well, I mean, seven million, you know, rounding up isn't that big of a deal. It's that much more money than they they have to spend on him. So, yeah. like I said, they don't have to wait forever on this, but uh, they don't have to jump at the first deal that sounds viable either. Oh, what's uh? They're in a good place with him. That, that's the uh, 
that's a good thing there. And uh, well, actually, no, I take that back. I don't think they're in a good place for them. Contract wise, they're in a fine place. They have room to breathe and all that jazz. But I was reading tweets about uh about the talks of trading Justin Upton, and they said that they had to go talk to him, and they spoke with him, and they say, he's a fantastic kid, and we love him here. We just want to see what's out there, and we got to do what's right by the team, and la, la, la. This sounds an awful lot, and I hate to delve into this topic of discussion, but this sounds an awful lot like uh, Jay Cutler and the Denver Broncos when Josh McDaniels was hired on. The first thing he seemed to do was go looking for another quarterback, and Jay Cutler threw a fit. Well, they said they're trying to smooth things over, and Jay Cutler eventually demanded a trade. Now, with baseball, it's obviously not the same game as football as far as how players, teams, and the media interact, because you don't hear too many young players straight up demanding trades. Um, and that might speak more to the individuals who actually play the, the sports, and it might speak more to the culture of how contracts and time spent with a team go. But it just, I don't know, having having said, the fact that it comes out that they had to go smooth things over suggests that this is going to go worse in their favor before it goes better. So as far as roster moves, transaction space, blah, 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 that's fine. They're, they're in a good place. But Upton sounds like he might be, uh, malcontent's too strong of a word because I don't think this is necessarily all on him here, but he's going to, I get the feeling he's going to become very, um, unhappy with his time in Arizona sooner than later. Mm. So, uh, keeping on the, the trend of outfielders, what do you think of uh, the uh, other often-mentioned outfield candidate, Josh Willingham? Willingham is such a mixed bag for me. I want him to come because he's a big right-handed bat, but at the same time, I, I'm concerned that we're I'm concerned that we're going to have more of the same player on the team guys who strike out a lot and stuff like that. But at the same time, I mean, if this is a perfect world, then we wouldn't, uh, we'd have the candidates that are high contact and high average and stuff like that out there, and they'd be very much acquirable. See, William strikes out in 23% of his plate plate appearances, which is, uh, you know, like Ian Stewart style. So that could be a uh, deterrent for the team pursuing him too strongly, but he's still a very strong bat. He gets on base very well, and he hits for good power. And he play, he, he, he can play first, can't he? I believe so. Let me I have him up right here. He uh, In his baseball career, he played some first base for the Marlins, but it was more just he kind of got put there, and he played a little bit with the Nationals last year, in 2009, I should say, as well. But again, it was kind of like a awkward double switch situation. Mm, okay, so he, we we wouldn't necessarily trust him to be a, a great candidate for a platoon uh, at first base. He, I don't think so. Okay. Uh, because I, I definitely think that one of the things we need most is somebody to play one-third of the games at first base who is preferably right-handed. And if it's somebody who wants to be starting every day the easiest thing to do would be to, you know, have them in the outfield along with Fowler and Gonzalez. And then when Helton sits, move that guy to first and then put Smith or Spielborgs in the other outfield yeah. spot. Um, well, all said and done, I don't hate the idea of Willingham. He's affordable. He's a relatively effective player. He's kind of a poor defender, but, I mean, you take what you get. But I'm not so enamored with the idea that I, you know, I'm, I'm going to freak out if he doesn't land with Colorado. Mm-hmm. I just, I, it's, 
I would like him in the sense that I think that he is probably one of the more viable candidates to come to Colorado at this point. But I'm just trying not to put too much stock in it. I'm just hoping the front office does something at some point here. Hmm. Okay. Um. Some of the other trade candidates. Mike Napoli. What? What's the deal with uh, with Mike Napoli? What's the deal with Mike Napoli? <laughs> it sounds like uh, we're in the world of Carmen San Diego. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, it's like you mentioned just a second ago with the whole uh, playing time situation. At just first. Strict- at first base, yeah. Yeah, strictly speaking, playing time. We're talking about a right-hander who's played first base and catcher, and that's kind of what we want. A guy who can back up first, back up catcher, and uh, still get, you know, two-thirds to three-quarters of a season worth of playing time out of it. And Napoli seems to fit the bill in that regard. I am very concerned because he is even more of an extreme strikeout guy than anyone else on the than I think anyone on the team. He struck out in thirty point two percent of his plate appearances last year. Uh twenty nine point nine career. That's a lot of strikeouts. But he also boasts a three forty six career on base percentage and he hits for a lot of power. Mm-hmm. Um not so much measured in home runs. He did hit twenty six home runs last year, but uh he uh, he posts an ISO of 234 for his career, which if you post an ISO of 200 or above, you're a power hitter. That's just kind of how it is. Um, if people griped about Chris Iannetta, they're going to gripe about Mike Napoli just for the same reasons, and I'm not looking forward to that storm. Yeah, that especially, obviously, assuming that Iannetta is uh, the other catcher, we're going to have some... Uh, uh, things that some uh, similarities there, r- regardless of who's playing, uh, and of course we also started playing around with Ionetta at first last season. Um, he's only really gotten a sliver of playing time there, but uh, that's another option, I suppose. If we wind up with another catcher who uh, doesn't play first base, I suppose we could put Ionetta at first base, you know, once or twice a week. Yeah. Um. A lot of that comes down to, as well, who the Rockies are seriously targeting um, in their uh, catcher pursuits. Because if we get a guy who is catcher first, like, uh, like I mean, just Jorvan Torrealba, for example, he would probably be end up being the starting catcher, and Ionetta would be the split uh, platoon backup. Mm-hmm. So he would play, you know... 20, you know, he'd play games at catcher, and then when Helton was, took the seat, he'd uh, he'd play first base there. So we have the right, that right hand of bat in the lineup. And I don't hate that idea either. I am merely concerned, as I wrote about it uh, like a month or two ago now, I think, that Ionetta is um, not in a good place right now. He seems to think he is. He doesn't feel any different. He has trouble adapting to not re- irregular playing time, but... I'm just worried that he is not facing the problems that he's having and not getting better when he, you know, needs to be fixing things. Hmm. So it really kind of depends on how things are handled. If the Rockies somehow are still involved in pursuing Victor Martinez, which I I, I wish we would, but at the same time the Tigers are going after him, and the minute some team goes after someone else, we seem to fall out of the running almost immediately. But at the same time, I'd admire the organization for saying this is what we're willing to go with, and we're not going to fight about it. So if the Tigers really want to overpay him, they're more than welcome to. Mm -hmm. But he fits the bill seemingly more for Colorado's needs. And uh, he's better than Napoli and Ionetta at the plate. Mm -hmm. 
Well, let's move on to the uh, starting pitching targets, uh, or at least names that have been thrown around. Two of them have been uh, already re-signed by their previous teams. Hiroki Kuroda uh, was getting some interest from us, who uh, ended up re-signing with L.A. pretty quickly, and then uh, Jake Westbrook re-signed with St. Louis. Uh, some of the other names, people have been talking about John Garland, uh, which has not inspired a lot of positive feedback from, I think, most people. And then... Uh, Let's see, who else? I, I know there are a couple names I'm forgetting. Um, Javier Vasquez? Yeah, I suppose, although it, uh, apparently the, the it, uh, is it the Nationals who are going to be going hard after Vasquez? The Marlins are also in the running for him. Okay. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't tie, tie ourselves too closely to, to him yet, but I feel like there's one other person on the tip of my tongue that I'm forgetting about. Trade candidate or free agent? Uh, I think it's a free agent. Carl Pavano? Maybe. I, I know that we've seen Pavano brought up as well. It, it's not really important because, I, obviously, if I'm forgetting who they are, uh, it's not really all that significant of, a, of an amount of, of ties that have been established between us yet. The obvious other thing is Jorge De La Rosa uh, being re-signed. Um, and right now, I'd say that's looking slightly less optimistic than it was before, and it was already a little bit of a stretch. I mean, he likes... Colorado, he we kind of revived his his talent and and re- reassembled him into a functional uh, team or rather player. And any team that signs him will be signing him largely based upon the the changes and uh, effect that we had on him. But at the same time, he wants five years, and we're only going to offer three. And it's most likely that somebody else is going to offer at least four uh, to him. And there's a lot of teams from Washington to Kansas City to, uh, I've heard Pittsburgh that are, have said they're willing to overpay for starting pitching. And, uh, De La Rosa really does kind of represent that, exactly that kind of player right there. Uh, uh, Troy Rank tweeted out uh, a couple days ago that we had a meeting with some of De La Rosa's representatives that was not, uh, particularly positive. Uh, because it seemed like they were pretty confident that somebody else was going to be paying uh, more for him than we were offering. Uh, so at this point, I'm going to say that it probably doesn't seem all that likely that he's going to be returning. It's not. It's not. It's not out, but it's not. Uh, it's not anything. Uh, I, I certainly wouldn't call us a favorite. I wouldn't. I think we're definitely behind in the running because he. He wants at least a four-year contract. You mentioned the five-year contract. I just don't see that happening for yeah, him. Yeah, I, 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 I don't either. That's just the, the kind of the, the number that his people had brought up. I think that we're going to offer three, and somebody else is going to offer four. Yeah, well, it seems. It, it, no, maybe I, my perception or my memory is just kind of a uh, jumped, uh, jumped the gun on this one. But is didn't most other teams show that they only had kind of tepid interest in a multi in a four-year deal? Except for Pittsburgh, hmm. Because I mean, I might not, I might be mistaken on this. So any of our listeners, uh, feel free to correct me on this. But it sounds like Pittsburgh is the only one who's really like solid on. Hey, yeah, four years totally. And I don't know if he wants to go to Pittsburgh. I mean, it sounds. I'm not sure if his demands for a contract are really saying I want to go with a team that's in a place to win that's a can afford to throw money at me. 
and five years, or if he's saying, I just want contract stability because I don't think that I am going to be long for this league at this rate. A couple posters on the blog were throwing about the idea of adding some sort of vesting option on De La Rosa's three-year contract that we would offer. For example, if he does, if he pitches a certain amount of innings or uh, does a certain amount of wins or something like that, that he would get his fourth year, and therefore he would be closer to what he wants, and we would also have at least some form of protection if he's not getting his job done. Well, um, the vesting option is a great idea. Just uh, just so everyone knows, you're not allowed to actually make contract stipulations like that or contract incentives based on stats. And, let me, and by stats, I mean... Like, you can't say if he hits 50 home runs, he gets as much extra money. That doesn't work. The, the, the Players Association nicks that idea in the last CBA discussion, or maybe it's even before then. But you can't have uh, um, contract incentives based upon, like, wins or RBI or homers or whatever, because... You can, often, you can have them for innings pitched, though. But innings pitch, because that has more to do with just workload mm-hmm. and how much you work and not necessarily the quantity or the quality of the work. See, home runs, batting average, RBIs, strikeouts, pitching wins, whatever, mm-hmm. that would suggest, um, you know, a specific quality of work. And, there's, and uh, well, we wish we could do that. That's kind of like getting a money-back guarantee on anything, you know? You can't... Uh, you can't just do that. But it's also kind of uh, using innings pitched as a gauge is kind of a good sneaky way to do it because and the, pitching a, pitch, you don't pitch 200 innings in a season without being a halfway decent, decent pitcher. And there's also other contract stipulations that we've seen players have related to playing time. For example, Miguel Olivo's uh, option being games finished. Or, no, games started. Uh, and then you'll see some, uh, for example, Rafael Betancourt has... Uh, incentives for games finished. If he were to somehow take over the closer role, he'd get paid more money. Uh, that sort of thing uh, is quite commonplace. So uh, I think Marquis had one for games started as well when he was here. Uh, so in, I guess in terms of the, the quantity of time that you play uh, in a specific point, I guess is not off-limits. Well, yeah, the, the idea is that you pitched well enough that your manager wants to keep putting you in the lineup. That's kind of what's going on with uh, vesting options based on innings pitched or games finished or whatever. Like, if you were a closer, like Irv Betancourt was somehow to become the closer, they'd say, well, the manager obviously felt like you did a good enough job as a closer that you met that games finished, um, you know, number there, and therefore you get paid more money. But um, with something more like... If we were to go with, say, strikeouts, well, that doesn't necessarily have... They could be something that's almost... Taking out of your hands is the wrong way to put it, but you could pitch exactly in the same fashion as you always did, and something changes about your catcher or your or the opposing bats or whatever, and so numbers like that, just it's basically go out there and get the work done is what contract incentives are based on. Mm-hmm. There's too many other variables to take into play when you come to things like strikeouts. Because if you face an entire team of Juan Pierres every day, you're not going to meet your strikeout totals. As Juan Pierre does not strike out very often. I'm no. just throwing him out there as an example. Uh, right. But yeah, that's kind of what it comes down to. Because I might have you go out there for the same number of innings, whether or not Juan Pierre is the one batting, but I can't expect you necessarily to get outs in the same fashion as you I would with other players. Hmm. Right. So, um, 
I think we've covered a lot of the uh, the people that uh, we've been tied to in one way or another. One other thought I had of uh, for for bringing up here at the end is obviously Clint Hurdle has now been hired as the manager for the Pirates, and of course everybody is wondering if he's going to try to bring in some of the missing or the the the, the lost pieces that have left the Rockies since his tenure, people like Atkins or Hop or Francis or this, how, how much would you buy into that? Because he's, he's, he's already started uh, bringing some people from our organization over there. He got Stu Cole to move over to Pittsburgh. So uh, what were you going to say about Hop? I'll say Hop makes sense, though. Um, maybe not a first base, and I don't like him in right field, but at least I could throw him there. I mean, it kind of depends on who they figure the bigger liability in right field is, Garrett Jones or Brad Hopp. But Hopp's definitely a team leader. A lot of people have attributed, and the Rockies we've heard, have attributed things to Brad Hopp um, of just being a good professional player who sets a good example and goes out there and does his job in a, you know, very dependable, adult, mature fashion. And, you know, doesn't freak out a lot, doesn't you know, a good a good guy to look up to, and so that could be helpful with the Pirates organization, with a with a youngish team that seems to lack a lot of uh, not necessarily discipline. I don't mean to throw the entire Pittsburgh organization under the bus there, but it's just it's young players, and there just doesn't seem to be a, you know anything cohesive in there. They, it's like they need a couple mature clubhouse guys to kind of slap everyone around a little bit. Mm-hmm. What do you think about uh, the 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 one that I've seen Pittsburgh fans actually mentioning, hoping that they they get is Jeff Francis? Does that make any sense for, from from their perspective? Well, that's their, they just DFA'd Zach Duke for whatever reason. Um, Zach Duke, that's the guy I was thinking of before. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, he's not a free agent yet technically because uh, I, I he has to clear. Well, he has to clear and. Just when you're designated for assignment to begin with, they can do a number of things. They can still trade him uh, and all sorts of other options for the next few days. Uh, so you have three days to out, is it three days or ten days when you DFA to outright trade or uh, wave. Uh, it's ten, and you have ten days to outright trade or waive them. Okay. Um, the waiving process takes three days. Actually, sometimes it takes two and a half days. It's really strange. Um, and I don't know if any of that really changes in the off season. I know the ten day thing doesn't. People often forget. I mean, the roster still exists in the same format as it does in the regular season during the off season. You still have to use the same uh, the same tools to get people off or add people and that sort of thing. Uh, so obviously you can't just say in the off season, oh, I don't want you on the roster anymore. The designated for assignment still has to happen. It still has to be an official transaction. So they do have ten days to do those things, and I guess it's nine now. It happened yesterday, or maybe the day before. I um, it was yesterday. So him and Andy LaRoche, mm-hmm. and uh, one other player as well. Uh, they designated a bunch of people. Um, I'll go look up who that was because I know it was somebody else that I knew of. But yeah, it, it was Zach Duke that I that, that I thought might be an interesting person to pursue. Uh, do you think that uh, that would be reasonable? I don't know anything about his contract or or anything like that, but uh, I I know that supposedly he's a ground ball pitcher, is he not? That's that's the understanding I have. Uh, the, the comparison I've seen made so far is somewhat to Jeff Francis. Whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, uh, 
not a hundred percent you're quite not a hundred percent sure quite yet. But uh it really depends on how much money we want to throw at him uh right off the bat. Because obviously it's gonna be, you know, a low base, high uh incentive kind of contract that we get him for if we are to land him. Right. Uh he had a forty eight he's forty eight point nine percent ground baller over the course of his career. Last year he pitched hundred and fifty nine innings. Um didn't strike out too many guys, but then again, didn't walk very many either. He's the kind of guy who very rarely walks people, but he has very low strikeout potential. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, let's see. He, he had kind of, he had a high batting average on ball and balls in play, and a low left on base percentage last year. Actually, it's not that low compared to his career numbers. It's a little bit disturbing, but and his line drives didn't take that much of a jump there. So it seems to me like he. Uh, could be a very decent bounce back candidate. His uh, ERA was nearly a full run, is more than a full run higher than his uh, his xFIP, which, if you recall, is the fielding independent numbers that you can usually look at to evaluate how a guy would be pitching going forward. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. I think it could be a uh, a decent idea to at least kick the tires, see what he's looking for to start with, because. If he's looking, if, if we're looking for like a million, million and a half in a contract that goes up to you know four, somewhere between four and six based on incentives, it could be a decent risk to make. I mean, we wasted more money on Kip Wells. <laughs> oh, Kip Wells, good time. He'd basically be a left-handed Aaron <laughs> Cook if you want to look at it that way. Just maybe slightly less extreme ground baller. Uh huh. Yeah, and I, obviously the the left-handedness is part of what drew me to him. I, I don't want to put too much emphasis on that. Like I'm I'm not I'm not super rigid about you know traditional roster construction. I don't necessarily know that. Oh, the rotation has to have at least one left-hander in it. I think it helps in producing kind of a variety, uh, especially. It, 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 if you isolate any one series of games, having one left-handed pitcher in there kind of makes it a little bit harder on the other team to to adjust to a certain style. But uh, no, I'm I'm not going to say it's necessary, and I think there's still honestly a pretty a pretty possible chance that we wind up with a rotation of all right-handed pitchers just to start the season at least. Um, but. I, I think he's just a, a name to keep open. We haven't really been tied to him at all because it's only just recently that this happened. But I think he's somebody we should take a look at. And I mean, he's not too old either. He's 27. So. Oh yeah, Zach Duke really profiles as a uh, a junk ball, left hand junk baller who can throw, whose fastball doesn't really hit much higher than upper 80s, maybe 90. Um, last year he only threw his fastball 59% of the time. And uh, mixed in a, a lot of curveballs and a lot of changeups, and a guy who has good command of a changeup, and it's uh, it's a good changeup too. But that's the kind of guy that Bob Abadaka tends to work very well with. Mm-hmm. So I mean, he's not a miserable option. I just don't think he uh, he doesn't bring much to the table. No, he 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 would be just a, somebody who kind of has qualities that we might be sort of interested in, uh, but certainly not should be prioritized as. Uh, a very important uh, target. Um, one last thing. Have you looked at the schedule for next year yet? Uh, no, not really, no. Okay, I was just curious, because that's, that's, that sort of thing always interests me, so I was reading over that a couple days ago. Uh, one interesting little feature about the next year's schedule is that for the second year in a row, we're going to be playing the Milwaukee Brewers in three series. Uh, they always have one 
uh, team that outside of the division that they have to play an extra series because we don't play six interleague series like like some teams do. We only play five. Um, because that sixth interleague series is reserved, I guess, for teams that have, uh, um, I don't know what you'd call it, a, a, a natural rivalry somewhere else in... Uh, in the the opposite league. So you can have, like, the Yankees and Mets, for example, play each other twice, once at home and once away, and that sort of thing. And teams like us that don't really have a natural American League rival usually only get to play five. Uh, so I thought that that was interesting. I can't remember exactly how the, uh, the uh, interleague stuff is laid out this year. I know we go to Yankee Stadium... And I know that all the rest of our opponents are central teams. I think we play the Indians, Tigers, White Sox, and Royals. I think. Uh, I don't know if anybody cares about this or not. It's just interesting to me. Well, the um, Royals, the uh, Royals seem to always be on our interleague docket. I, mean, I don't know why. Um, that we, I guess, uh, they they pair us, I guess, because we're relatively close by. Uh. I, uh, I've noticed that too, and we also played Detroit a little bit more often than some of the other ones too. Uh, these last two years we played the Angels, and this year we don't. We don't play any of the West teams, if I'm remembering correctly. We played the Twins last year, they're the only AL Central team we don't play this year, I believe. Or this upcoming year. So they're trying to spread it out, but you're right that we do seem to play the Royals a lot. And, uh, this year we're, we're playing the Brewers again an extra time. I don't know what they're trying to do there. But I, the schedule building is, is interesting to me. I think really it's in many ways somewhat just completely random. Like I don't think necessarily they paired us with the Brewers again an extra time just because they did it last year. <laughs> they probably don't even remember. I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the, the, that's kind of the, the, the situation we're pulling up on. The other thing that's interesting is... We don't. We hardly play any NL West games at all. In fact, we play three in in April against Arizona. The the the, the opening three games. After that, we don't see another NL West team until May. Isn't that interesting? That's frustrating. <laughs> I don't like having a division heavy schedule going down the stretch. Even, I do like the even idea though of having it all on our own. Even though we tend to play better, like. You'd think that maybe if we have another rotten April, it's better to be losing to teams like the Mets or the you know the Cubs or the Pirates than uh, against you know the Padres, Giants, or Dodgers. Or do, well, I do, do you re- down the stretch? I, I, Go ahead. If we have three teams in a in a postseason hunt again, three or four teams, I just don't like the idea of having to face a bunch of playoff hungry teams. In September. Mm-hmm. Well, that's true, but I, I, I feel like we're more likely to play uh, a, 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 a... We will have a better chance of playing well in September than in April. Uh, though, I mean, there's no real uh, necessity that that happens. It's just kind of the pattern that we seem to... Start off slow and then uh, and then get into it. I was actually a little bit off. We do play L.A. twice as well. Uh, our first five games are against Arizona and L.A. And then after that, uh, oh, there's a San Francisco in there as well. So forget everything I said. <laughs> uh, it is still very 
it's still not NL West heavy at all because we play Pittsburgh, New York, Chicago, Florida, Chicago again, Pittsburgh again. <laughs> so, well, at least you like Cubs out of the way in April. Uh, yeah, and uh, we get the Pirates as well. Although I guess that's not really all that important. Anyway, uh, th- we'll we'll have a lot more details on what the schedule means for us later on when we get more context into what the teams are going to be looking like and uh, that sort of thing. So, uh, any other news or uh, coverage that you want to get out of the way now? Well, I haven't seen anything really break this morning yet. Uh, so the the Mets think- just hired a manager. That's all I really have seen. Uh, yeah. It's- I'm not too worried about the Mets managerial hunt. I mean, the Mets kind of di- the Mets could be a disturbingly interesting team next year. If they can just stay healthy for a season, they're not a miserable team. Mm-hmm. They just can't stay healthy. Yeah, they've 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 had some rotten luck. I'm sure it's been pretty frustrating to be a Mets fan. Um, okay, for the future of this uh, podcast, we are gonna be doing another show on. In December, it's going to be up on the 13th of December, and then we're going to take the rest of the month off for holidays and that sort of stuff. And then when we come back in 2011, we're going to be having a little bit of a different format. I don't know what exactly is going to change, but uh, at this point, uh, there's going to be some changes made to the way that we uh, we record this. We might be getting more people to participate uh, we might uh, be adding more segments and adding some Q&A stuff and all that sort of thing. So if you have any suggestions about what we should, uh, what, 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 what you want to see change next year on this podcast, uh, shoot, shoot one of us an email or post a comment or something like that, and we'll, uh, we'll see what we can do. So uh, with that, uh, we're going to sign off for today. Um, we will be back on December 13th to talk about the Rule 5 draft, which will have happened by then. We'll talk about anybody we, we might have non-tendered, any signings uh, that might have happened so far. And maybe we'll get into uh, starting to talk about some of our opponents and uh, how they have been uh, handling their offseason. So with that, I want to thank everybody for listening, and we'll be back in a couple weeks. Uh, we'll see you then. Take care. Thanks.